trust that we're thankful for another <coughs> pardon, opportunity to be in the Lord's house and the trust that we would um, ask that you be uh, prayerful as we try to stand before you today. That um, that the Lord would bless us for a little while to look into the, some of the things that's on my heart and mind for this. I think I want to start by going to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, if you go back to Acts 17, you'll find where he went into the city of Thessalonica and he uh, preached there and shared with them. Uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ he preached and uh, I'll just turn to read that briefly verse 2 says and as Paul as his manner was there was a synagogue of the Jews there and when they uh, and Paul as his manner was went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a, a few. That means a bunch. So here he preached the gospel, and those there were the, those that believed, they were converted, and obviously to me they were baptized and they organized into a church. That's, that's why you have the apostle writing back. He writes a letter to the church at Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, there's two epistles. An epistle is a letter. And he's writing back to this church. And the first, this first chapter of this first epistle, 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul is, he kind of uh, rehearses his manner of entering in under them and how he preached under them and what had happened. And Paul had with him at the time Sylvanus and, and Timothy, Silas and Timothy. So he begins this chapter, Paul and Sylvanus, which is Silas, Timotheus, that's Timothy. Paul and Sylvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word of much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. The apostle is bringing to mind that he came and preached the gospel unto them. He says, we know, brethren, beloved, your election of God. I know you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You're the elect of God because when we came and preached to you, the preaching didn't just come in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. In other words, Paul wasn't just preaching there with, um, I mean, the Lord, if, you know, God, if for man to be able to actually preach and be effectual, then to preach, God has to bless a man to preach. But he also has to bless people to hear. And obviously, there were some here that were the Lord's children, born-again children, and they had ears to hear. They heard what Paul said, and God took it right down to their hearts and showed them that they were forgiven for Christ Jesus, and that Christ Jesus had delivered them from the wrath to come, and it moved them to take up their cross and follow the Lord. Alright? But Paul is reminding them of his entrance in unto them, how he preached, and the gospel didn't just come in word only, but also in power, and the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. And I will assure you, when the, Holy, when the gospel is preached with the Holy Ghost sent down for heaven, witnessing the things that the good news of the gospel of salvation, when God takes those things and shows us it, it brings a great amount of assurance that Jesus not only died for sinners, he died for this sinner. 
He loved me, as Paul said in Galatians 2. He loved me and gave himself for me. A person is never going to know that except the Spirit of God bear witness to that truth in your heart. You will never know. You'll never know that things are okay with you and God through Jesus Christ until God reveals and shows that to you. And oftentimes he does that through the preaching of the gospel of the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. That's exactly what happened here. God blessed Paul to preach. And it just didn't come, his preaching didn't come just in word only, but in power. That's the Spirit of God. And much assurance. And it moved them to turn away from their idols to serve the true and living God. And we're going to see that here in verse, we're skipping a few verses, but verse 9. Or let's not, let's not skip it. Let's go to verse 7. So that you were, he says, you became, verse 6 says, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word with much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost. See, there's joy of the Holy Ghost. When the Lord shows you who you are in Christ, there's joy in the Holy Ghost. There's joy, you have joy, righteousness, peace, you're at peace with God. You understand that through the redemption of Jesus Christ. What you have, you're His, and you are forgiven through Christ. You understand that. The Spirit of God witnesses to that truth that He loved us, died for us. He delivered us from the just wrath of God against our sins. That's what He did. And that's what moved them to come out from among the world, be a separate people, to serve the Lord with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I trust that's the desire of all of us who've had a similar experience that we come out to try to serve and please the Lord in our life in discipleship and live unto Him who loved us and died for our sins as well. But we see that they became followers of the Lord, having received the word with joy, uh, with much affliction and joy of the Holy Ghost. He says, and then he goes on and says, So that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God would spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. This was noised abroad how these Thessalonians had uh, the Lord had blessed them and converted them unto Himself. And they were sharing uh, with others what God had done for them. Alright? And so, he says, verse 9, Paul says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I want to focus here, the reason I went here is I'm fixing to focus on it right here, because when they understood who Christ was and what he had done for them in conversion, they came together, what did they do? They turned to God from their idols. They were idolaters. They turned from their idols, they, served, they turned to serve the true and living God and to wait for a son from heaven, even Jesus, which delivered from the wrath to come. <coughs> Now why I went here is to give us an example of what they did. And I'll just say this, that they turned from their idols to serve the true living God. That's not all that they did. Once they were converted, they saw what the Lord had done for them. And we see that in the, the last verse. They went for his son, which had delivered them from the wrath to come. This is a people that didn't just believe Jesus was some good moral man or some prophet that lived. I learned about that in world history in high school. They talked about Jesus back in school. Can you believe that in public school? <laughs> they did. They didn't say anything about him being a savior, but he was a Jewish figure over there, and he walked the sands of Galilee. I was quite surprised they even mentioned him. I don't think they do that anymore. But anyway, um, but they weren't just looking for historical Jesus to come back. They were looking for Jesus to come back, which had delivered them from the wrath to come. That's what I mean when I say that these people understood with the gospel being preached, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, the word, the gospel didn't just come in word only, but also in power, and the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance the Spirit of God came bore witness of those truths in their hearts that Christ loved you, He died for you, you're free from sin through Christ Jesus. You're redeemed. He put away your sin by the sacrifice of himself. And now you're right in the sight of an almighty God. He delivered you from your just desert of wrath against your sins, which he would be just to send you to hell, the lake of fire, for your, wrath, for your sins, and, in, and, in, and, and, 
and experience the wrath of God forever and ever and ever, and it'd be just. If my soul were sent to hell, thy righteous law approves it well. We sing that in one of our songs, do we not? Because they understood what they had been delivered from. And this is a Jesus, not just some horse historical person, but the Son of God, which came to die for them, to deliver them from the just desert of God's wrath against them. Delivered from the wrath to come. They were waiting for Christ to come, which was what? Delivered from the wrath to come. They understood something about salvation through Jesus Christ and His shed blood and the atonement on the cross. They were, they had redemption, the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1 7. But I'm interested in what they were doing. What kind of response did it elicit when Paul preached the gospel with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven? It didn't just come in word only, but also in power by the Spirit of God showing them who. Christ is and what He's done for them, that they're saved by the grace of God. Their sins have been separated from Him as far as the East is from the West. What was their response? How did they live from that point on? You say, well, they turned away from their idols. Yes, they did. To serve the true living God. Yes, they did. That sounds like discipleship, does it not? They turned away from their idols to serve the true and living God. But I must say that's not all it says that they were doing. There's two things here. There's two things here. And the second thing they were doing is just as vitally important as the first. What did they do? They turned from their idols to serve the true and living God. And what else were they doing? And to wait for His Son from heaven. Even Jesus which delivered them from the wrath to come. So they, they turned from their idols to serve and to wait for Christ to come again. It's very important. What I want to talk to you, that's what I want to talk to you about today. There's there there is, he said, well, you know, they turn from their idols to serve the true living God. That sounds like discipleship. You know, live how you ought to live. Uh, uh, love your neighbor. Be kind. You know, all, love, even love your enemies. There's a lot of things in our discipleship right now, right? You've got, this whole book tells us how we ought to live, how we ought to serve God, how we ought to please God. What's pleasing to God? Well, live that way. That's our discipleship as we're living here below. But there's something else we're supposed to be doing while we're doing that. We're supposed to be waiting. We're supposed to have the right mindset that we're waiting for Jesus to come again. To receive a son himself, that where he is, there we may be also. In other words, it's not just, we need, we need to run our race with patience, looking unto Jesus. He, Hebrews chapter 12, seeing that we are compassed about with such great a cloud of witnesses, we ought to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and run our race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, they were running their race trying to serve the Lord, but they were looking for Jesus to come again. And that's very important. That we keep our eyes on the Lord. There's another text. Another text in Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God which brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. That's, that's our discipleship here, right? We're supposed to please God, but that's not the end of the text. It says, looking unto Jesus. Looking for that blessed hope. I'm sorry. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior. In other words, we're supposed to be doing these things here, living for the Lord, while we're looking for the blessed hope and return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which delivered us from the wrath to come. It's not just a matter of, fact of looking this way. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Run our race with patience, looking unto Jesus to return again and to take us home, quite frankly. There's a perspective here that we must maintain. And if we don't keep our eyes, if we don't, if we don't run our race with patience here below, and keep our eyes on the Lord and where we're going, you know, I think about over in Matthew 14, Peter. You remember one occasion, Jesus, they were in the ship. <clears throat> Peter looked out. He saw Jesus walking on the water. He said, come. 
Peter was walking on the water. I mean, he was flat walking on the water until he saw the winds and the waves were boisterous. That means he took his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. And I'm going to tell you, we have all trials, we have tribulations, we have difficulties in life. Have you ever felt like you're sinking in them? God wants us to, expects us to keep our eyes on the Lord. We start looking at the trials and difficulties and bad things in life. There's going to be tribulation. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be trials. Sometimes you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But I'm going to tell you what, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. What I want to talk to you today about is having a proper Christian worldview, if you will. And not just knowing it, but living it. If you don't know what I mean by that, hopefully you will by the time we get done. What's, what's the non-Christian worldview? What's the worldview of the, this world? Well, the worldview of this world is that, you know, we kind of, you know, God didn't create us or make us. We just kind of, whatever, evolved up, you know. Uh, we didn't come from anything. We're not going anywhere. Once you uh, die, you die, it's all over for you. You know, you go, go around once, grab all the gusto you can get. Just, I mean, this is it. This is all there is until you die, and then, there's, then you're gone. <coughs> That's one worldview. But it's not the reality. I worked with a guy one time. I get the opportunity at A&M because of, I'm in a, a science environment. I get to work with a lot of atheists. Okay? And so, but also, I was surprised one time we had a graduate student, and I was talking to him about it. He said, well, I, I, I guess I'm just an agnostic. I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic. I, I, just, I, I don't know. I said, why are you an agnostic? Why aren't you just a full-blown atheist? He said, well, he, and this is what he told me. He said, I just, you know, so when I think about it, I just can't imagine that when I die, that's all there is. Can't believe, you know, that's all there is when I die. Well, you know what? When you die, that's not all there is. Matter of fact, when God's children die, that's kind of just the beginning. You know, the worldview, the, the proper worldview is that we, um, in James chapter 4, let's just go here quick. James chapter 4. Verse 13, go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what should be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought, he said for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we should live and do this or that. All I want out of that is, he says, what is your life? It's a little vapor. It's here for a little while and it's gone. I find to contrast that, if you go to 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it talks about when the Lord comes again, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. How long is ever? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever we're going to be with the Lord. But our life right here on this earth is just a little speck. If I can put our existence. And see, the soul has an eternal existence. Actually, the body's going to too. Alright? But our time here on this earth is just, if I could put it on your, your, your existence on a timeline, it'd be on a timeline, the existence that we have on this earth would be a little speck on a line that goes and never ends. And from that speck on that timeline till it goes till it never ends, you're one of the Lords, you're going to be at the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever to the end, which has no end forever to be with the Lord 
our time here is just a little speck. Now there's a world, there, there's a right, sober-minded world view. We're here for a little while. This world's not our home. We sing the song, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Earth is a desert drear. Heaven is my home. and minds. Now listen. Let's go to First Peter. <clears throat> okay, before we go to First Peter, I, I, we're going to go, y'all pray for me. I, I, I know what I want to tell you. I don't know what all the order is, but I'm going I'm to change from that. And I want to tell you on this worldview over here in 1st Peter <clears throat> 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 11 It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He just called them strangers and pilgrims. <coughs> you realize that's what we really are? We're in for this world just a little while. We're sojourning in a strange land. We're pilgrims. If we were to go to Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about some people, the saints of God, died in faith, who confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Do you realize in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 20 says this. He says, For our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior. A lot of times in the Bible when you talk, you hear the word conversation, it means your manner of life. This one's from a different Greek word, and I'm no Greek scholar, but you look it up, and it means your citizenship. That's actually saying your citizenship's in heaven. Do we think like that? See, we're citizens, I'm going to tell you, we're citizens of another country. Another country that I've never even seen before. God's children have a country. We're strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Do we think like that? We should. We should have a proper, sober worldview of things. I remember Pharaoh. Go back over to Genesis chapter 47, I believe, about verse 8 or 9. You remember after Joseph delivered him, you know, after the second year of the famine, they brought Joseph and his house into Egypt, you know, that famine, right? And when you had Pharaoh came to Jacob, he came to Jacob, and Pharaoh asked Jacob a question. He says, how old art thou? You know what Jacob's response was? He says, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. He realized he was a stranger and pilgrim on this earth. Going to Hebrews, all these people walked by faith. Abraham went for a city which has foundations, whose building maker is God. These over here in Hebrews chapter 11, it says over here, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They understood they were strangers and pilgrims in this low ground of sin and sorrow, but they had an inheritance that was promised to them. I'm going to tell you and I, we have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. It is reserved in heaven for all of God's children through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are citizens of another country. We should be thinking like that. Gerda, uh, I keep saying we should be thinking like that. 1 Peter 1.13 1 Peter 1.13. He says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gets back to what we started with, where these Thessalonians, they turn to God from their idols to do what? To serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven, which had delivered them from the wrath to come. In other words, they were running their race with patience, looking unto Jesus. Looking for that blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God. They understood their life here was just in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, if it were. Just like a little vapor, then it's gone. They were living their life here trying to serve the Lord, realizing there were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And he says, be sober. He says, he says wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. The mind. You know, my understanding, I probably don't know everything about that I should know. No, but I know in the Old Testament they talked about when they were, they would, uh, they get ready, somebody get ready to run, they take, they gird up their, 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 their garments because they're getting, they're preparing to run. So they're girding up these, their garments to run, around their loins, to run. God says, gird up the loins of your mind. You know, what, you know what's really taxing as a disciple of Christ? You know where most, where we're, where we're at default usually? It's what we think. God's interested in how we think. What we remember as we're trying to serve the Lord. Am I running my race with patience? Am I still looking unto Jesus? Realizing he's going to come receive me in himself one of these days. I'm going to go home and be at the Lord. Do I realize, do I, do I live like Jacob? How old are you? Well, you know, I'm just a stranger and pilgrim on this earth. The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. I'm 30, 130 years old. How, how, how do you answer when somebody says, how old are you? Well, the days of the years of my pilgrimage is 55 years old. What would people think if I told them that? They said, well, you kind of think. What were you? What? It could start a conversation, maybe. The days and the years of my pilgrimage. And I want you to understand why he said it like that. He realized that he was a stranger. He realized that he's just here a little while, that God has an inheritance where he's going to be with him forever. I'm just sojourning here. This is not my home. I have another home God's got for me, and I ain't even seen it yet. So yes, I'm just a pilgrim here. Are you look? It, it says over here in Hebrews 11. It talks about that they declare they those that say they're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 14. For they say this. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Verse 16 says, but now they desire a better country. That is a heavenly country. You see where they had their eyes? By faith, Abraham, he went out. He dwelt in this land. He went up in all the, the depths of it, in the north and south, east and west. He was looking. What was he looking for? He had his eyes set on a city. But it was a heavenly city. These had their eyes as they were living here trying to serve the Lord. They had their eyes on the country. But it wasn't an earthly country because this earth wasn't at home. We're just strangers and pilgrims. They didn't say such things. They declared plainly they're looking for a country that is a heavenly country. You see, they had their eyes on the big picture. The big picture. Here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. How about us? Hebrews 13, verse 14. He says here in verse 12, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Why? For here we have, here is it. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Are we seeking it? Are we got it in our sights? 
Are we living our life down here in our discipleship with a view of heaven where we're going? That we have in heaven a better and an enduring substance? Do you know why these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were looking for, they understood they were pilgrims. Why did Jacob say the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years? Because they didn't just intellectually, listen to me. They didn't just intellectually say, acknowledge it and say, I know it. Okay, I know it, that's good. They embraced that truth with their life as they lived. It wasn't just head knowledge. They, they, they understood that they really were pilgrims. Listen to what he said. They, God gave them promises. See, in the Old Testament, he gave them promises. I'm going to give you this country. I think those of the Lord could see it went past this Canaan's land to something else. We just said that they that, they, that, they that declared such look for a country that is a heavenly country. See, they had a view of more than just the Canaanites' land that God was going to bless them to go in. God had prepared, provided unto them a country, a heaven, a place. But listen to what they said. Hebrews 11, verse 13 says, And these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Okay? And were persuaded of them. They were persuaded of the fact that they had a country that God was going to give them. They were persuaded of it. And they, they were persuaded, having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them. Okay? They persuaded it was true, but they also embraced it. They didn't just believe the truth of it. They embraced the concept and it was part of how they lived. And they confessed by not only being persuaded of it, they embraced that truth whereby they confessed, guess what? I'm really a stranger and pilgrim on the earth. That's what I really am. It's not, and let me just say this, it's not a pretend game. When over there where God says, as, as, uh, as pilgrims and strangers flee you for us, lust. But what I'm not trying to get you to do today is to say, oh, Brother Mitch, you want us, to, as we're going here and living our life here, we're supposed to pretend in our mind that we're strangers and pilgrims and heaven's our home. No, I'm not trying to get you to pretend, pretend anything. I'm trying to get you to realize the truth of that's how it is. That's how it is. Don't just be persuaded of it. You embrace this truth. You live it in our lives. Yes, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pilgrim. That's why Jacob, when he's asked, how old are you? Well, the days and years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. That's the truth of it. That's the right thinking of it. I really am a pilgrim. Over there in Colossians where it says, put on therefore as the elect of God, bowels of mercy, long-suffering, etc. He's not saying pretend you're of the elect and live this way. He's saying because you are of the elect, put off these things and put on these others. Because you are elect. That's what he says in Peter. Because you're a stranger and pilgrim, here's how you're supposed to live. Not only be persuaded of the truth that you're a pilgrim, but be embrace that truth and live it in your life. And maybe one day when somebody asks you how old you are, you'll say, well, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are so many years. Because that is the truth of the matter. It's the truth of the matter that I have salvation through Jesus Christ and I'm going to be serving Him, wait for Him to come again and receive me unto Himself. The grace of God teaches us, what? Teaches us that we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. As I'm living here, I'm waiting for Christ to come. That I'm going to be with Him forever and ever and ever. I'm just here for a little while because I... Have a, I'm a citizen of that country. I'm kind of a foreigner down here. <laughs> Alright? I'm a foreigner down here, dwelling in a country that's really not mine because I'm a citizen of another country. That's the, that's the real reality of it. So you go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, where he says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be sober. Do you know what that word sober means? It means to be right thinking.
thinking. Be thinking in the right way. You mean God is interested in how I think? Oh, sure he is. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, do you realize Satan's pretty much interested in what you think too? Right? And as a roaring lion, he seeketh whom he may devour. Satan is interested in every one of our minds. And the bigger threat that we are to him, the more he's going to be after us. I'll just say that. All right? If you go over here to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said this of the church of Corinth. He says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, he says, So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Satan wants to mess with your mind. Because if he can get you looking at the winds, getting you at the waves of your difficulties and trials, and get your eyes off of the Lord, then he's going to sink you down in the slough of despair and despondency. Or whatever else he wants to direct you to. You understand what I'm saying? We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. We need to realize that if I have in heaven a better and an enduring substance, it's going to bless it's going to enable me to be able to walk on the water, if you will, amidst the winds and the waves when I realize I'm running my race with patience, but I'm looking unto Jesus. You take your eyes off the Lord and this truth, if you're a stranger pilgrim on this earth, I'm going to tell you what, you can sink pretty fast in your trials, in your troubles, in your difficulties. You start looking, oh, me, me, look how bad this is. And I need to look up and run with patience, looking unto Jesus, you see. Those Thessalonians, they turned to from their idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven. Even so, come Lord Jesus. All the saints have always said, come Lord Jesus, looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God, Jesus Christ, who will come again to take us home where we'll be with him forever and ever and ever. Don't lose sight of that big picture. We're supposed to think soberly and rightly. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And that's difficult for me and I think it's probably difficult for other people maybe, but you know why I, I'm, for many, many, many years, I've got a television in the house right now, but for many, many years I didn't, especially going through college. You know why? Because it captivates me. It's a weakness for me. I, could just, I mean, I could, I could waste lots of time sitting in front of a television set. And I'm afraid I probably do, I, I do more than that than I need to. Do you know what is so appealing to sitting there and watching, for me, watching television? I don't have to think about it. I don't have to use my head. I don't have to use my mind. It's just coming right in. I don't have to think about stuff. It's doing my thinking for me, right? That's right. Because I'm going to say we're basically, maybe, maybe y'all aren't, I'm basically lazy when it gets right between my ears. All right? Lazy. Discipleship actually starts in our heart and mind. Right? God wants us to be thinking the right way. And he doesn't just want us to do, he actually is commanding us to think in a right way. 1 Thessalonians 1.13, that's not a suggestion, that's an imperative. He says, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. Let's just turn over there. Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's not talking about a revelation of the Lord revealed to me what this scripture meant. He's talking about when he, the Son of Man shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. When he comes again, that's the revelation we're talking about. He's revealed from heaven. He says, Wherefore, God of the Lord, your mind be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be focusing that. He says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it's written, be ye holy for I am holy. So here we see the horizontal discipleship of being holy unto God, but while we're being holy unto God and trying to serve him, we're supposed to have our minds girded and be thinking soberly and hoping to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that hope, by the way, if you don't know this already, usually when the Bible talks about a hope, it's not talking about a wish. It's not even talking about a desire. It's talking about an expectation. 
He's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Be right thinking. What is right thinking? That this is all there is? Grab all the gusto you can get because when you're dead, it's all over? No, that's not right thinking. That's, that's, that's falsehood. The right thinking is, is we're here a little while. We're going to be in here forever. He says, be sober-minded. Be right thinking. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind. Think about this as you're trying to be holy, for he has called you to be holy, for I'm holy. He says, while you're doing this, I need to be doing something here. I need to gird up and prepare the loins of my mind, be thinking, be thinking right, that I'm a stranger and pilgrim on the earth. I'm here for a little while. I'm with him forever. I have salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who delivered me from the wrath to come. So I'm waiting for him to come as I'm trying to serve the Lord here in my place. And as I'm doing that, wherefore, gird the loins of my mind, be sober. That's sober thinking. He says, looking, uh, be sober-minded, and hope that is expect to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he comes again, you see, then this time of my pilgrimage is going to be over here in this world. But we are strangers and pilgrims. We should be persuaded of it and embrace that truth, live it in our lives, and understand and be right thinking in our minds. Over in... First Thessalonians. Go back to First Thessalonians. And where these people, these brethren in Christ, had turned to God from their idols to serve the true living God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, it says, which delivered us from the wrath to come. They were keeping their they're running their race with patience, looking unto Jesus, trying to live for the Lord, and keeping an eye on his return. Alright? You go to First um, Thessalonians chapter five. He talks about the day of the Lord Thessalonians. Go back to 1 Thessalonians. And where these people, these brethren in Christ, had turned to God from their idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, it says, which delivered us from the wrath to come. They were keeping their, they're running their race with patience, looking unto Jesus, trying to live for the Lord, and keeping an eye on his return. All right? You go to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He talks about the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them as to prevail upon a woman's child. They shall not escape. He says, but ye are not in darkness, but that day shall overtake you as a thief. He's talking about the children of God. They're not, they're the children of the light. Get into verse 5. He says, for they're the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the, we are not of the night nor of darkness. In other words, this day is not going to overtake you as a thief. He says, we're not of the night nor of darkness. Verse 6, therefore let us not sleep. As do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are the dead be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for our helmet the hope of salvation. Now what I want to tell you about this is, he says, don't be drunk. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. You know, when you're drunk, you're not sober. Right? The person's drunk. What, what does that mean? Maybe versus sober. Well, they're not in the right mind. When they're intoxicated, they're not in their right mind. But God is telling us, don't be drunk. He says, be in your right mind. That's why I keep saying, we need to be thinking right and correctly. And the right, correct thing is that our life is but a little vapor. We're here for a little while. And we ought to want to be here as long as the Lord wants us to be here. Paul says in one place in Philippians, he says, I'm going to straighten twixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with the Lord, which is much better. Then he says, nevertheless... It's more needful that I abide here with you. Paul, God wasn't through with Paul yet in this earth. My friends, I know that he's not through with every, any one of you out here to hear my voice today. I know he's not through with you in your pilgrimage here because I still see you here. Alright? He's still holding your soul in life. You're still here because he wants you to be here. He's just ready for you to go. You'll be ready to go. Alright? Uh, even so, come Lord Jesus. Uh Talks about it. There's an elder you pray for him. I didn't mention it. Elder Don Ferris. He's a, been a primitive at his elder for a long, 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 long time. He had an aneurysm in his brain. He's in Virginia right now. And he was, uh, he finally had a surgery and he woke up. And the only thing he said, he was disappointed. He was hoping to wake up in heaven. <laughs> but he says, uh, I'll abide by the Lord's will. I just got that text this morning. I was wondering how he was doing. Good brother. I was with him in Georgia just a month or two ago. 
And he preached well. The Lord blessed him to preach at that time. But anyway, I'm going to tell you, Paul says, I'm going to straight twixt two. I desire to depart with the Lord, which is much better. But Paul says, nevertheless, it's more needful I abide here. The Lord wasn't done with him yet in his short pilgrimage as it may be, as short as it may be, here on this earth, God wasn't finished with Paul quite yet. So he's still running this race, looking unto Jesus. You see my friends, Satan wants to get your eyes off of the Lord more than anything because he can get you looking at your, your situation, your trial, all these things. He's interested in your mind. And we're going to see that right here. I already just read it, actually. He says, verse 6, For therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us be looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ to come again. Uh... Uh, the grace that is to be brought unto us is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, let us watch and be sober. He says, for they that sleep, sleep in the night. <coughs> I mean, you don't have your wits about you when you're asleep. Yeah, unless you're dreaming about something. But basically, you're unconscious or you're drunk. You don't, you're not thinking right then. You're not consciously thinking about what's right and what's going on. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken or drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, that is sober-minded, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Now here's some of the armor. The breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I already said what a hope, of, hope is, right? That's an expectation, right? It's not just a wish. It's not just a desire. He said put on at, for a helmet. In this Christian armor, we're to put on something like a helmet. What is it? It's the hope or expectation of salvation. What, what, do you, what part of your body does your helmet protect? Your mind. Satan interested in your mind? Oh, yes. That your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Just like the serpent beguiled Eve through his something, even so your minds should be corrupted. Satan is interested in your mind. That's why he's real interested in what you look at, because it goes straight into your eyes, into your mind. What you hear. He'll try to get us to hear and see things we shouldn't be hearing and seeing, because it goes right into our mind, and we're corrupted in our minds. We need to guard our mind against the onslaught of the enemy, Satan, who would try to get us to look at the winds and waves, and we'll start sinking, sinking like Peter did in the sea. But you know what? We have a helmet we can put on. We're supposed to, we need to gird up the loins of our mind. We need to think and appropriate truth to our minds. We're supposed to do that. Actually, we're supposed to, God wants us to think about stuff and think in a right way. If we go to Romans chapter 12, just, just for instance, Romans chapter, Romans chapter 12 verse 1. <coughs> He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. God is telling us we should renew our mind with certain truths. Truths. That are true. That God is God. That I'm a stranger to him on this earth. That the earth is not my home. I have a citizen, my citizenship's in another country. I mean, there's a lot of things that are right that God would have us to renew our minds with those things. And I'm not talking about this, the air that goes around a lot about this positive power of positive thinking stuff. That if you just think it's going to be good, that's going to be good. If you just think you're going to be a millionaire, you're going to be a millionaire. All this, that's, that's malarkey. But God is interested in us reminding ourselves of certain things. And we, should, we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds in certain truths that are real. Real. That Jesus is coming again the second time to take us home. He's going to descend from heaven and shout the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the grace that's to be brought unto us at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes again. That's, that's going to happen. The reality. Embrace this truth. 
that we're going to be with Him forever and ever. We're here for a little while. Embrace the truth that God is God and we're His children, that He loves and He's going to take care of. He says, When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. He says, For I fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Those are things we can renew our mind in the truth that God says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord's my helper. I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. There's a lot of things we can renew our mind in. But my friends, as we, we should be focused and waiting for Christ to come again as we're living here below. The focus on Christ to come again who's delivered us from the wrath to come. That I know that I have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. I have an in, uh, inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for me. And I should be remembering that as I walk through this life. That this world's not my home. I'm a stranger and pilgrim. How old are you? I, uh, the days and years of my pilgrimage are 55 years old. I'm just a pilgrim here. I need to embrace that truth. Live it. Live it. Live that truth. That worldview of what it is. That's the reality of it. And he says right here in to finish here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says for a breastplate faith put on faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. That's, I'm supposed to arm my mind with the expectation of salvation when all this is over. Why in the world would any of us have the expectation of salvation when all this is over? The next verse tells us. Why would I have this expectation of salvation that I can use around my head to remember, to gird up the ones in my mind, remember that He's coming. I have salvation in Christ. I'm going to live in Him forever. I'm to, I'm to protect my mind from Satan and all the distractions and the troubles and the trials out with the expectation that I'm here for a little while and I'm with Him for an eternity. Why in the world would I have the expectation of salvation? He tells us in the next verse. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but hath appointed us unto salvation. By our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Now, I'm going to tell you. Why would you expect to be saved? Well, Christ died for you that you live together with Him. That's what He just said. Why wouldn't you? I mean, He came in here. He came in to save his people from their sins, and he did it. He didn't lose one. And if he came to die for you, that you would live together with him, oh, that's a pretty good basis of expectation. I mean, anything too hard for the Lord. He's got the job done, my friends, when he put away our sins as far as the east is from the west. Redemption was accomplished, my friends, uh, upon the cross of Calvary when he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We find in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, where it talks about the work of Christ. He says, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Made he, I mean, what I'm trying to say is he actually purged our sins, didn't make them purgeable. He purged them. He put them away. And then he went back to glory. And it wasn't by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in the once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 9 12. Alright? <clears throat> so we see. We have salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Who doesn't ever try to do anything but accomplished his mission. He died for us that we should live together with him. That's why we have this expectation of salvation. You know what happens when we don't gird our minds together and be sober and remember these things? We're going to be like Peter. We're going to start singing. We're going to start singing. When we don't realize the big picture, I'm here for a little while, eternal glory that Christ purchased for me stands before me, that I'm going to be together with him in this everlasting peace and tranquility with God in heaven. When I lose sight of that, when I lose sight of the fact that I have in heaven a inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, faded, not away, we can become weak. It affects our witness. Let me give you an example. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. <coughs> chapter 10. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 10. We need to be actively remembering, calling to remembrance this truth, looking unto Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come, as we're trying to serve the Lord in our discipleship here, right now, here in Temple, Texas, 
in this building right here coming together to worship. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10. Now you have to understand, the, the book of Hebrews, I believe, is written to the, to the Jew, Hebrew Jews that were converted to Christ. And they had great trials and tests upon them. Be kind of like a, being a Muslim and convert to Christianity. Other Muslims don't smile very much on that, do they? Well, the Hebrews didn't either. You go from Judaism to following Christ? No. You have a tough time. And I think the persecution, the winds and the waves, as they were trying to serve the Lord, the persecution and tribulation, to, and what it cost them to serve the Lord in that day, it had an effect on them. That's why over and over in Hebrews it says, Hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. You know, he told them that because it was kind of wavering. It was. They started losing sight. They weren't running their race with patience. They kind of got their eyes off of the Lord and that which he had accomplished for them and where they were going. Even to the point that they stopped even going down there, forsaking the assembling of themselves together in a church way. You know, the, everybody knows that verse, right? Forsake the not the forsaking, you know, it says, uh, I can't put that, For, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Well, the only reason that's in the Bible is because that's what some of them were doing in that day. Let's start reading here in verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for we stay from the promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Hebrews 2.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. See, that was going on in that day. In other words, it's too hot in the kitchen. It's too hot in their Christian profession, if you will. They were undergoing some persecution and tribulations. They said, well, you know what, I'm not even going down there. I, mean, I don't know what was all that's going on. Do you realize there's been people stoned and killed in this continent for their religion before? Back in the 1600s and actually 1700s, there's people that lose their life and get imprisoned. What if the authority says you can't meet down there no more? You know, we're, we're living in very, as bad as things may seem, we're still living in a pretty good time of history compared to a lot of places. Some of those people weren't even worshiping anymore. They've forsaken the assembling of themselves together as a matter of some is. But exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This was the condition they were in. And I'm going to, I'm going to time's sake, time's almost up, I'm going to skip he gives a warning. <clears throat> he gives a warning of <clears throat> judgment by God. Verse 31, it says, it's a fearful thing to fall on the hands of the living God. I want verse 32. He's going to give a remedy to these people. That because of their tribulation, because of the trials that they had faced, they, were, they, they, weren't, they weren't following the Lord like they once were, arm in arm with brother and sister, going down to the meeting place anymore because it was too much persecution. What's the remedy? They need to gird together the loins of their mind, think soberly, and be remembering that their problem was right between their ears. And they need to put on that hope of salvation, not let anybody knock them that down off of their Christian profession. What's the remedy? Verse 32. He gives them the remedy. He says, but call to remembrance the former days. Call to remembrance the former days. In which you were, in, in which after you were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. He said, "Remember the former days. After you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. You were made in verse 31, 32, 33 talks about you were made a gazing stock, and were companions of them that were so used. What I want you to see is, is he says, you remember these things." Remember the former days in which you're, after you're illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction. Partly while you made a gazing stop, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion of me and my bonds, took joyful the spoiling of your goods. How could they do all that, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance? You see that? How could they endure this persecution? 
because they remembered and understood and were focused on the fact that they had in heaven a better and an enduring substance. They'd forgotten. They, they'd lost sight of this big picture. Who they were in Christ, what Christ had for them, that they have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled there for them. They have in heaven a better and enduring substance. That's how they were able to undergo all these things. And he says, remember the former days, which after you were illuminated. I'll say, remember your first love. When the Lord showed you that He loved you, He died for you, that He put your sins as far as away as the east is from the west, that your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ, and you're right through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you're on fire for the Lord. He says, remember those first days of your first love, when the Lord, you first saw the Lord high lifted up, and that He was your Savior that loved you, He died for you, and you came together in a church way, and you were there without fear of persecution. You would lock arms with brother and sister, and you would go off in the service of the Lord, and it doesn't matter what the trial would be. It doesn't matter what the temptation might be. It doesn't matter what the difficulty might be. He says, remember the former days when you were eliminated. You endured a great fight of afflictions. The afflictions didn't matter. You kept on. You were faithful to the Lord. Holding fast the perfection of your faith without wavering because you knew that you had in heaven a better and an enduring substance through the Lord Jesus Christ. It enabled them to go on. Not cower in a corner. Not be fearful of the winds. Or of the waves. Remember the former days. When after you were eliminated. You endured a great fight of affliction. Amen. You didn't even suffer the spoiling of your goods. That's alright. You were mistreated. But you are also companions of those that were mistreated. It didn't matter because we're here for a little while. You see. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. It doesn't matter what I do in my service. I might end up down in a jail like Paul. And Silas in, in Philippi jail. Down there in master service, but you know what? It's okay. The same God suffered me to be in there in my little pilgrimage here is the same God that can get me out. And I can be down there singing praise unto God and says, hey, Oh, woe is me. Oh, this hard thing. No. They realized who they were. They were God's children. They were, they were heaven born and heaven bound. He's calling. This is a real account. He said, Remember the former days. Of your first love. You're on fire for the Lord. You endured a great fight of afflictions. You're not doing so well now. You know how you were able to do that? Because you had girded the loins of your mind and you were sober thinking. You had renewed your mind these truths. You, you had it there. It wasn't long ago the Spirit of God. God told God showed you and revealed that you were right through Christ. That heaven's your home. That you're a stranger here. That you're a citizen of another country. Those things were fresh. And you knew you had in heaven a better and enduring substance. And that's how you were able to cope with this difficulty and trial. And you weren't. You didn't faint or falter. Hebrews chapter 12. Well, let's, let's finish. Let's finish this. Hebrews chapter 10. He says, go in verse 34, knowing you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. He says, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. What do you think that's talking about? Who's he that's going to come? And he's not going to tarry. It's because he just wait, be patient. You see, it's the same thing. You haven't had any better in enduring substance. Heaven is your home. You're here for a little while. You're just a stranger and pilgrim right here. Don't forget that. Because sooner or later, before long, he that cometh is going to come. Don't be faint be weary in your mind. Look in chapter 12 of Hebrews. Where he says that we're supposed to run our race with patience, verse 1. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Run our race horizontally here, keeping vertical our eyes, realize where we're going, what he's done for us, and, and be ready to, uh, for the graces to be brought unto me when he comes again. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who delivered me from the wrath to come. Keep our eyes on, serving the Lord here. He says, let us run our race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He's, he's given an analogy here. 
the Lord, you know, he despised the shame of that cross, but you know what he had his mind on? The joy. What he was accomplishing for his children. Despised. You see, he is even looking sober-mindedly as to what's going on here, even though he's on the cross. And he despised that shameful thing. Listen to what he says. He's giving us the example. We should follow him. We should run our race with patience looking unto him. Well, what did Jesus do? He says, for consider him. He says, he says, who, who for the joy that was before him, set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right of the throne of God. He says, for consider him that endured such contradiction against himself. Uh, again, uh, the contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest ye be weary and faint in your mind. So those Hebrews were weary, fainting in their mind, but all this persecution, they need to be looking ahead. My friends, may God bless us to be able to put on for a helmet the expectation of salvation. And this is not be some uh, mental exercise, or not, a, not a, it's not just a knowing that these things are true, but these, these, these saints of God who confessed, the ones that confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, that they were looking for a heavenly country, they were looking for a city. Remember, that says, here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We're seeking the same city that Abraham was looking for, I guarantee you that. We have our eyes on the city, the same one Abraham was looking for. These people confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth because they weren't just persuaded of this truth, but they embraced the truth. And they lived it in their lives. May God bless us to run our race with patience looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we, in our trials, in our tribulations, that we know we're here just for a little while, but we have in heaven a better and an enduring substance because it endures forever and ever and ever to the merits and accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ for poor sinners. May God richly bless you.